Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And I greet you not only with Glory to Jesus Christ, but also, of course, with a most blessed new year. But also... On the other calendar, the liturgical calendar, I greet you from the calendar of the Eastern Churches, in particular the Byzantine Catholic Church. I greet you with the greetings for today's feast, the feast of the circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also the feast of St. Basil the Great, a great Eastern father of the church, after whose name a liturgy is named in our Byzantine church. In fact, we use that liturgy during the highest holy days, and of course we use it today on, the, on his feast day of St. Basil the Great. But boy, what a week we put in liturgically in our church this week. We have to go back a little bit to Christmas Day itself. On Christmas Day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we celebrate not only the birth of Christ, but actually already we're reading the gospel about the visit from the Magi. On the Latin Rite calendar, of course, that story is reserved for in, in January on the Feast of what they call Epiphany. For us, that feast, which is January 6th, is actually called Theophany, although it can also be referred to as Epiphany as well because the point is, and here's again where East and West converge in, in the essence of something, it is an epiphanic event. In other words, it is a showing forth a showing forth of the Christ to the Magi, symbolic of his being shown forth to the Gentiles, to all peoples, not just to the Jewish people. That's in the Western tradition. In the Eastern tradition, it is a showing forth of the Trinity itself, the manifestation of Trinity, because the Trinity was revealed at the baptism of Christ. So January 6th is the baptism of Christ, which we call Theophany. But can also, at the same time, you can use the word Epiphany, but more properly, Theophany. But again, if we backtrack a little bit, December 24th is the birth of Christ, at least that evening service, the vigil service, commemorates the actual birth of Christ in the Byzantine calendar. And then on the Christmas day itself, as I mentioned, already we're reading the story of the Magi visiting the Christ child. You can see how quickly the Eastern calendar, the Eastern liturgical life, kind of ushers us forward, doesn't let us linger too long in any kind of sentimentality, although we do definitely have the element of the human emotion involved in these great events, especially as we read the liturgical texts from the point of view of the Virgin Mary. 
during the event of Christ's birth and also Christ's death and his crucifixion. But very quickly, the liturgy of the Eastern Church points our gaze, kind of nudges and urges us onward to focus on what is ahead. In other words, the purpose or destiny of all this. Why was this Christ child born? Is Christmas just about the babe in swaddling clothes? That is an aspect of it, but it is not the point. Now, we don't linger there too long, so we very quickly move on in the Eastern calendar towards the theological reason for this event. In other words, its ultimate purpose and destiny. Now, during this week, we also had, as I mentioned, it's a week that's just full of great liturgical moments. We have then the day after Christmas, December 26th. That's when we celebrate in the Eastern calendar the Feast of the Mother of God. It's kind of a general celebration of her. It's not a specific event other than the fact of her role in the birth of Christ. In fact, in the Eastern churches, we do this what's called a synaxis, or I often call it sort of like the characters taking a bow. The characters who are the major players in the great drama sort of come out and do a curtain call. They kind of take a bow, as it were. In other words, what they do is, after the feast itself, oftentimes in the liturgical calendar, such as on December 26th, some of the major players, as it were, so to speak, are featured. Well, on December 26th, of course, we feature the Mother of God because of her incredible, pivotal role in the birth of Christ. Then the next day, December 27th, we have St. Stephen, who was the first martyr, and also St. Theodore, a monk. And we're going to have a monk joining us on our Light of the East in just a moment. And also December 28th, the 20,000 martyrs of Nicomedia. Notice what's happening here, December 27th and December 28th, we have already the ushering in of bloodshed, of martyrdom. And December 29th, the holy innocents, the children who, of course, were killed by Herod as he tried to find the Christ child and to kill him as well. So here we have already, again, our gaze is ushered forward into what is oftentimes a very difficult reality of the coming of Christ. You know, Christ came into the world, as Jesus said, to divide in a certain sense. Yes, he came that all may be one in him, but the reality of that will divide. It will always be a choice between choosing him or choosing evil. And his coming into this world would also at the same time bring the shedding of blood, both on his part and the part of those who followed him, such as the first martyr, Stephen, and these other martyrs after them. So the church looks towards, once again, very quickly, the, the reality of this Christ child. Now, now that he has entered into our time in history, we now have then the reality of this as it unfolds. And then, of course, it brings us to today with, again, another kind of shedding of blood. Well, this was in the event of the circumcision of our Lord. And, of course, today also the Feast of St. Basil. Before we go any further, and we're going to look more deeply into these events, but as you can see, that's a very, very rich liturgical event in the Byzantine Church. I'm going to get some help here because this is too much of a mouthful for me. This is just too much liturgy for me to handle. I'm not, I'm not great enough for this, so I'm going to bring on an expert today. I'm going to bring in the Marines, the Delta Force, the Navy SEALs of the Church, and that is the monks, the Byzantine monks. Welcome to Light of the East, Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nunzian's, Wisconsin. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Father Tom, it's always a pleasure to be on your show. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you here. And I guess you heard that lineup, didn't you, from uh, the <laughs> this past week, a very, very rich liturgical week in the Byzantine Church, especially with these great feast days and some of these very great liturgical texts we'll, we'll be reading in a moment. But first of all, Abbot Nicholas, tell us a little bit about yourself, because there's some new events in the lives of yourself and your monks. Yes, 
Father Tom, we have finally found a permanent home. We've kind of been uh, in a kind of an exodus for a while, looking for a permanent home in California. And as it turned out, our permanent home is, God willing, here in Wisconsin at St. Nazian's, uh, named after St. Gregory Nazianzus, St. Gregory the Theologian, a great Eastern father. How many American villages are named after a great Eastern Christian father? But there you go. So I guess he's, he found us. And we have a wonderful uh, monastery. It's a, it's a 140-year-old convent, at least parts of it are 140 years old. And um, a nice chapel, a nice little chapel. And uh, we are here. We have... Uh, the top floor is where the monks live, on the third floor, that's the cloister part. The second floor has 12 guest rooms, 12 bedrooms that will be used for guests in a little common room. And then downstairs, of course, is the chapel and the dining room and, and parlors and the recreation room and so on. So we will have, be available for people to come and visit us uh, to stay, also for day retreats, and that people can come and, and share our a rich Byzantine liturgical life. There are not many places, at least in the Catholic institution in the U.S., that people can go where they can uh, celebrate the, the full uh, Byzantine liturgical office, both liturgy, mass, but also uh, matins and vespers and the hours and so on. Um, Holy Resurrection Monastery is one of the few places uh, that, that does that publicly and also will be big enough to have some people to come and stay, uh, to do retreats, but also to come for day visits. And people can find out about your monastery by going to what site? Our webpage, which is HRM, initials for Holy Resurrection Monastery, hrmonline.hrmonline.org, and you can find out all the details there. Abba Nicholas, when you talked about the liturgical life there, people, in other words, people should come to your monastery. Why? They should come because they're getting an ex- they will get an experience that they will not get anywhere else, probably in the United States, I imagine, an experience of a full Eastern liturgical life, and yet, of course, in union, full communion with the Pope of Rome. So you can go there. If you go there on Sunday, it, it, you can go to Eucharist, correct? Any Catholic correct. can go to Eucharist. Any, any Catholic that normally receives communion in their own church uh, can receive communion, yes, of course. Father Nicholas, sometimes I'm, I'm often asked by Latin Rite people, do you have daily Mass at your parish, or for instance, in your case, in the monastery? And I sometimes have to answer that by saying, well, yes and no. And, and is, Could you explain why I would answer that way, and, and how is daily Mass, or is it daily, we call it liturgy in the Byzantine Church, is there such a thing at the monastery, why or why not? Well, uh, Father Tom, in in principle, at least in a monastery, there is no reason why there couldn't be a daily Eucharist. However, we normally don't celebrate the Eucharist as monastic custom and the full uh, Byzantine tradition. You wouldn't celebrate the Divine Liturgy and, uh, in an abbreviated form. You would celebrate the whole Divine Liturgy, which you know would take a while, and you wouldn't celebrate it without preparing for it through fasting and through celebrating Vespers and Matins and all the liturgical services. You wouldn't just uh, jump the preparation and go just to the essence, to the liturgy. That's not how it works. And so for the size of our monastery, 
it, it would, it, which it's just not really possible for us with only two priests, one deacon and two other monks, uh, to, we'd be in church all day and if we did liturgy every day. And we just, of course, can't do that. Now, if we were a, lit, if we were a monastery of, uh, you know, 40 monks, we might be able to manage that, but we're not. We never skip matins and vespers, the liturgical services, the liturgy of the hours. We do all of those, but liturgy is only celebrated on Wednesdays and uh, Saturdays and Sundays and other big feasts. Um, now, in the Latin Church, of course, they celebrate uh, Mass every day in monasteries and even in parish churches, but the Mass there in the Latin Rite is much shorter, and the services are much shorter. Um, so it's, it's a different it's a different kind of dynamic, really. And when we return, we're going to talk more about the liturgical life and monasticism of the Eastern Churches with our very special guest, Abbot Nicholas of Holy Resurrection Monastery. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Why does he have to watch every single bowl game this week? Right, ladies? This is Father Thomas J. Loy with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Men love football for the same reason they love to make love, become a father, seek adventure, experience mystery, and see beauty. For men, football is an experience of the spouse of mystery through a sport. Mystically speaking, the point of football is to plant the seed in the end zone. The coveted end zone can only be approached with the greatest attentiveness and finesse. A past reception becomes the conception of six new points, and the team celebrates their fruitfulness. So remember, ladies, football for him is an experience of the very dynamics contained in the spousal mystery. And gentlemen, don't forget where your real experience of the spousal mystery is found. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas, all your host during this season of our Lord's Nativity, but also a season rich with all kinds of liturgical observances and feast days, especially the Eastern churches. And in fact, today, is the Feast of the Circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and also the Feast of St. Basil the Great. But speaking of Eastern liturgy, we have an expert here with us today, our good friend Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzians, which is actually in Wisconsin. An amazing, an amazing thing, Abbot Nicholas, that <laughs> here you are, an Eastern monastery who, of course, uh, pay great tribute to the great Eastern fathers of the church, and here you end up in a town named after a great Eastern father of the church. It just has to be providential. 
<laughs> I think so. I think it was through his through our prayers to St. Gregory Nazianzus that he wanted us in his town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How appropriate. And, uh, and, okay, well, speaking of liturgy then, let's look a little bit more at this rich liturgical gift of the Eastern churches and what it has to offer to the world and to the whole church, really. Yes, Father Tom, I, I would put it this way, and, and, and in our... Uh, Monastery. This is one of the charisms of our monastery. Uh, most of the visitors to our monastery are certainly Eastern Catholics and Orthodox, but also many Roman Catholics, and uh, what we can offer them. I think, unfortunately, since the Second Vatican Council, uh, for all sorts of reasons, there's been a bit of a crisis, a bit of a liturgical crisis in the Western Church, in the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of the Latin Rite, and more and more the Church has become polarized in all sorts of ways, but particularly liturgically. And we can see uh, examples of that in the what uh, Pope Benedict has tried to uh, make uh, extend out to the men, the people that haven't accepted the reforms of the Second Vatican Council liturgically, but also in simple things like the uh, indult that he uh, has eased or made more available or popularized more the the old Latin rite, the, the uh, pre-Vatican II Latin rite, and also uh, even simple things like the liturgical, the English liturgical translations that have been recently implemented in the USA. They're very, very contentious issues, and the church is polarized, particularly liturgically. And I think this is a great pity, and I think the Eastern churches, particularly the Eastern Catholic churches, particularly the Byzantine Catholic Church that I know the best, can can kind of soften that polarity, because that polarity is really uh, due to a large degree ignorance. The church and the liturgical life of the church, of the Catholic church, is far, far deeper, far, far richer, far, far broader than post-Vatican II, pre-Vatican II. Uh, and the Byzantine Catholic churches, the other Eastern Catholic churches, can attest to that. And I think that's very important for people to know, that whole notion that it's a, a polarized view, it's either this view or that view, is just misinformed. And so hopefully the Eastern churches can present an apostolic model of liturgical worship that is completely apostolic and yet different from the Latin Rite. And in that way, I think can um, help Roman Catholics better appreciate their own apostolic liturgical tradition to make them, if you will, better Roman Catholics by knowing the Eastern Churches better. The current Pope, Benedict, has a, he has a great deal of respect for liturgy. In fact, he says oftentimes that Basically, if we are worshiping correctly, everything will go correctly because liturgy and, and Eucharist, of course, uh, informs all of life, and all of life is informed by Eucharist. In other words, it all think of it as like the hub of the wheel. You know, everything flows in and out of that hub, and that hub is is liturgy, is worship. the The whole experience, the whole soul of the church, east and west, is expressed or summed up in liturgy. So. If things go right there, everything else will go right because they kind of emanate out from there. And also what we bring to liturgy will inform how liturgy is expressed as well. So it's it's a very, very fascinating dynamic, very reciprocal kind of dynamic. And I think that this current pope is very, very sensitized to that. And, and as you said, uh, Abbot Nicholas, that one of the gifts of the church being east and west 
is that we can be a complement to each other. It took a Roman pontiff, a Roman pope in the Western Church, to call together a great council like the Second Vatican Council. But at the same time, there was the presence of the Eastern churches there that helped to inform that council, as you're saying even now, especially with liturgy. And in fact, many of the great developments, legitimate developments in the Western Church since the Second Vatican Council were strongly influenced by the presence of the Eastern churches. Am I correct in that, Abbott? Correct. Uh, Both Eastern Catholic churches and, of course, there were Eastern Orthodox observers of the council and and they too, because they are... uh, they have the same heritage as the Eastern Catholic churches, but are much more populous uh, in orthodoxy. They too, of course, uh, have a very should have a very strong and sometimes stabilizing influence, particularly in liturgical life in the Western Church. It's interesting, again, the complementarity of the riches of the Church, East and West, the two lungs, as John Paul II said, because historically, the East is, of course, the mother place, you know, the womb of the Church, as it were, and whenever the West wants to kind of stay on track, kind of like a touchstone, it it goes back to the East. So what did they do in, in the places of origin? What did they do centuries ago in Jerusalem and then later on in Constantinople or in Antioch or Alexandria, that whole Middle Eastern area? What did they do there? At the same time, the East uses the term, and historically we see, uh, of the West having recourse to Rome, as it were. In other words, we, we, we at the same time need Rome and its riches as well. But here, in this case, the Eastern churches have a very vital role to play liturgically in helping to inform the West of the right and basic attitude towards liturgy, which is what's happening with this current pope. Oftentimes, I explain to people, I'm a Latin brethren, that even something simple as a change from and also with you, to and with your spirit, it may seem like just a few words, a minor change, but actually it's a fundamental change in an entire orientation towards God and liturgy, towards life, even to one another. Am I correct in that, Ivan Nicholas? Correct, and of course uh, we have uh, always stuck to the original translation of, of the Greek, actually, not even of the Latin, but before the Latin, which even in Rome the liturgy was in Greek before it was in Latin, and it's metopnevmatisu, with your spirit. That's literally what it says. And we've, in English translation, of course, always kept that. And now the Latin Church is is refining, uh, fine-tuning their uh, vernacular translations, especially the English translation. And speaking of East and West, you have a special kind of, uh, as it were, apostolate at your monastery, largely through liturgy, and that is this Anastasis project? Correct. I think I would say that the mission of our uh, of our monastery is really threefold. The first is to be a witness to Eastern Catholics, particularly Byzantine Catholics, to re uh, to to learn and experience their tradition more deeply. There aren't too many monasteries, there aren't too many experiences where they can uh, participate fully in the full liturgical Byzantine uh, cycle of the Church. Yes, liturgy they can go to, but very few places where they can go to all the other services every day. And we offer that. The second people are, I think, outreach to the Orthodox to show them that, yes, we can be in communion with Rome, and yet we would be in many ways very similar to an Orthodox monastery of our size here in the U.S., not that different at all. An Orthodox person coming here, apart from the fact that we would mention the Pope in the, in the diptychs, in the liturgy, would feel at home. And the third aspect is we want to be a witness to Roman Catholics of how they can become better Roman Catholics by knowing more about the Eastern Churches. The Roman Catholic Church is equally apostolic 
as the Eastern churches. So through learning more deeply what the Eastern churches are about, I think Roman Catholics can appreciate better what it means for them to be members of an apostolic church. Which is exactly the message of our program here, Lay the East, the riches of the church, East and West, in particular the Eastern churches and how they are a complement to each other, and also the significance of the riches of the Eastern church for the whole world. And Abba Nicholas, since we've been talking about liturgy, I might as well end our program today with the words from the liturgy itself for today. In his love for the human race, the Savior condescended and willed to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, eight days old according to his mother, and eternal according to his father. He did not look down upon the circumcision of the flesh. Therefore, O believers, let us cry out to him, you are our God, have mercy on us. Abba Nicholas, people can find you at hrmonline.org hrmonline.org. Abbot Nicholas, I want to thank you for being with us here on Light of the East, and we'll welcome you back again in a blessed new year and blessed feast to all the monks and to you and all of you who are listening. Thank you for being on the program, and thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again for the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L C O O K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.